Okay, hello everyone and welcome back to this week's episode of the Summertime Bit Boys. I'm James. This is Blake. And this week we will be talking about games with a horror or macabre theme. Now I know it is nowhere near uh, the month of October for Halloween, but we just figured with all this disease and destruction going around, maybe we could look at the darker side of gaming. So we How ha- cute. <laughs> so we had... Two suggestions this week. We'll be looking at uh, Splatterhouse in the Arcade and the JRPG Sweet Home. So I think we should start with Splatterhouse first. Yeah, sounds good to me, man. So? So uh, this game came out on multiple different consoles and is kind of responsible in a way for the very first instance of the ESRB rating. Yeah, it was, you know, actually, I don't know about the UK, but it was banned in America, so it never came out to arcade. I think the first iteration was on uh, Sega Genesis. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously in England, the arcade scene was much smaller anyway, so if a game was as obscure as that as to be banned in America, it probably wouldn't have arrived in England, but I just remember seeing the odd box copy and things like that for the Sega as well. Did you ever play it on when you were younger or no? No, I didn't uh, find out about it until college when I was like 17, 18, because part of my games development course was to learn about games marketing. And therefore, like obviously a hot topic of that is usually games ratings and controversy and things like that. So looking through that, I found that it didn't actually have an age rating on it. Instead, it was kind of like contains such and such and then a little dick slap at the end was saying not suitable for children or cowards it's funny so i don't think it was until more combat that that thing became like standardized like it had to be done but i do know that it was one of the first instances of kind of forewarning of a game's graphic nature yeah well it's kind of interesting you know arcades i don't know about nowadays but Growing up, arcades never had any ratings. Even when the ESRB was created, arcades never were like, oh, it's 16 and up. It was just always like, it's an arcade. Yeah. You kind of venture at your own risk. Um, so then did you ever play any of the iterations of this game when you were younger or more like in as a young adult? Or is this like the first time you've legit played this series? No. Uh, once I got to college, obviously, I was a little bit interested in playing it. So I did play one, two, and three uh, through emulation yeah. when I heard about them. So I have played them all before, but I think two was the one I spent the most time with. Okay. Because uh, one, I mean, I guess because of how basic it was, the ports of one are pretty faithful to the arcade. Yeah. Uh, I know two was more or less the same. I think the sprites were just a little bit better. And three, they kind of changed it into a Streets of Rage style, style brawling game. But Splatterhouse 2 and 3 was console only, right? They didn't come out to arcade, did it? Well, that's just it. I I'm, I'm, wasn't 100% sure on that because I didn't even know uh, until much, much later that it was an arcade original. Oh, okay. I assumed they were all console games to begin with. Okay. Were you surprised that it was a Japanese-only game when you learned about it? Yeah, definitely, because, um, well, nowadays they are notorious for censoring any kind of violence in their games. Yeah. Like, uh, especially Resident Evil, 
most recently like a Japanese made game in Japan by a Japanese company uh, receives two versions here, like a heavily censored and a less censored, but they still, it is impossible on a console to buy the fully uncut version. Yeah, I recall you telling me about that. So yeah, like I was really shocked because um, like looking at the game, obviously now it's like aged and it's pretty dated, but the death animations of the enemies are pretty grotesque and some of the character designs for the enemies as well are really morbid. Yeah. So basically Splatterhouse is kind of like an homage to 80s kind of American slasher horror, I guess, because the main dude looks like Jason. Uh, there's like some Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there. So I'm, I got very strong vibes kind of in that direction from it. Yeah. Well, that was like one of the things about the game that stood out to me was how blatantly they just ripped off Jason. Yeah. And then furthermore, how they started ripping off other type of horror tropes coming from, you know, that era of, you know, American culture. But, um, thing for me is that i didn't learn about this series until they had the kind of i guess the reboot that was on 360 which played more like say god of war style beat em up oh yeah that was the first one i ever played because i remember i saw it was it where was it i think it was a like GameStop or something like that and it was like on sale for like 20 bucks and i was like yeah it looks pretty interesting so i just bought it i enjoyed it actually i think it was one of the earliest 360 games i can think of were like that console generation where there's actual nudity in it and i was kind of like well what <laughs> there's nudity oh yeah because you know because you know, when god of war came out everyone kind of talked about like not just the violence but oh my god there's boobs but splatterhouse i didn't really expect it kind of like uh dante's inferno which also kind of copied uh god of war there's also like boobs in that and i was kind of like, oh my god what's going on yeah pretty much i mean i remember I think the new Splatterhouse didn't do too well, but I had fun with it. I thought it was just a dumb, kind of like little mindless, harmless game. I really liked it. I liked how the mask talked to you. I liked that you're all buffed out like Venom or the Hulk. So when you beat people up, it had that really like awesome, like punchy feel to everything. Yeah, I just felt like uh, it was, def I guess nowadays they're referred to as double A titles. Uh. So it's like, it's got a team behind it, but maybe it didn't have the budget it needed to be on par with, I don't know, whatever would have been coming out at the time, like Halos and uh, Gears of War and things like that. But yeah. it definitely had like a an actual studio with guys in it making it sponsored by a company, like they had a publisher. But it's just kind of some of the stuff in there, like the killing animations and things like that, they always want super fluid and sometimes they kind of like snap in weird ways so it it felt like it was kind of one of those mid-tier games well i mean let's be honest the what is it the franchise has been dead for so long it's kind of yeah impossible to put much budget into a dead franchise it's just more like let's just try and produce something and see if there's any interest and obviously there really wasn't problem was that as i said i think the franchise was dead for far too long no one was really familiar with it at that point i mean even though we were technically around the age demographic even we didn't know i would say too much about me you knew some because you researched it i think most people around our age probably were like 
Yeah, I think I may have saw a box art of that, but no one felt more beyond that. It's more like for, I think, like Gen X to be like, yeah, I know that game. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, sort of like moving back to the original one. Uh, when I first moved here and we first went to Akihabara, I was surprised to see the arcade cabinet in there. Yeah, I think, where'd you see it? Like Super Potato? Yeah, it was like a... Yeah. Obviously, it's just one of those candy, was it like the candy cabinets or something? Yeah. So it's just kind of a, a replaceable one. So it's not like it had its own marquee or anything. But yeah, I was real surprised to kind of learn that not only was that an arcade game, but it was a Japanese arcade game and that there was a copy that we could go in and play of it. Yeah. Because as I said, like, even from the get-go, one of the first weapons you pick up is a machete and you just start cleaving dudes clean in two and it's not like discolored blood or anything and most of the enemies are humanoid in nature yeah so yeah i was pretty like shocked to, especially with the foreground and the background on the first level with having like um people with their intestines spilling out or heavily like cut up in cages and things like that yeah it was like pretty brutal and uh, even oh. now it's kind of I like that when you hit like the certain beasts with like a baseball bat, they could fly into the background, like <laughs> smack into the wall. You just pop like great. a fucking balloon. That was great. Um, speaking of which, did you know the actual story of the game or no? Is it something to do with like their reporters or something and they go to the West Mansion to try and talk to the guy and there's been a few disappearances and I can't remember exactly why he kidnaps jennifer i think he wants to turn her into a monster or something uh they're both parapsycho they're both getting their ma in parapsychology jennifer and the main guy rick and so the guy who owned the mansion dr west he was like pretty much the best parapsychologist so they want to investigate the mansion to try and find out some of his research since it's been long abandoned so assumed that he is dead so they originally wanted to just investigate it but i guess there's like a storm and due to the storm they end up like, okay, we've just got to run this mansion. We can't really take our time to go in. And then, you know, Rick gets hit in the back of the head. So he blacks out, steals Jennifer. Cause I think, yeah, he wants to turn into a monster or like resurrect some type of demon. And then since Rick is about to die, this, you know, mask entity then becomes like the venom suit just attaches to his face. The terror mask. Yeah. So, cause when I looked at the, when I, you know, I sat through the, uh, god what's it called for arcades now the uh when you don't put a coin in oh god i forget the name of what they call that oh the attract screen that's what's called i sat there to see the attract screen but there's not actually any story it's just some funny little cutscenes. but i bothered to investigate further to see exactly what story was i was like wow they're getting an ma in parapsychology that's pretty cool i guess yeah they uh they didn't have to write any of that in but i guess they did this is kind of funny because it's like, man, what university gets like parapsychology other than like probably some online university like Phoenix? Yeah. So I think the the hardest thing for me about this game was because I played the other ones. Yeah. And the f second one is very similar to the first one. It was kind of hard for me to remember what I was supposed to do in terms of I thought you were able to save Jennifer because at the end 
they kind of have uh it branches off a little bit that you're able to fall down holes or go up and down into different parts of the mansion yeah and you can kind of get to the uh that level's boss like a little bit quicker yeah but i only found out kind of through looking back into it after i played it that that's the third game that uh, uh, we can save her yeah there is a like ongoing time limit for her and his son and then in the oh, second okay. game the objective is to just save her oh, okay which is the one i remember playing the most because you kind of get her and then you have to get out with her as well kind of a little bit of like a like you said dante's inferno like the whole is it greek mythology where he gets his wife back and he's not allowed to turn around and look at her until he's out of the gates of hell Something like uh, that. Well, Dante's Inferno was Italian, not Greek. Oh, uh, I was maybe. probably mixing the two up because they kind of blended different bits uh. and pieces. But yeah, so that was the one I was remembering. So I played through the game like two or three times thinking, oh, I wasn't fast enough. I could probably still save her. And it wasn't until sort of I looked into it further. I was like, oh, I just wasted my time. There is only one ending. Okay, so you played this one two or three times. Yeah, to, the... to try and see if I could get to the end quicker. Wow, that's the first time this is, <laughs> you've gone through it two or three times in a row. Yeah, it was... I think it's very much... Uh, I mean, once everything opens back up from the virus, I'd be very interested to sitting down and playing the game in the arcade because I got good enough at it that I could get to about stage four or five without losing a life, so I'm going to smash that high score. Oh, okay. Yeah, for me, I played it once and I was done. I, yeah, I felt the controls were like really clunky and stiff. Mm. Uh, the jumping was super floaty and really high. So for me, it was more of like, yeah, I can play it. I like arcade games and I'm pretty good at dealing with annoying old school games. But, you know, it, I wouldn't say it was a fun game. It was a, it was a decent game, but not really fun. Yeah, it's something that you'd like. I guess you'd stick like a quarter or 50 yen into it, play through it once and be like, oh, that was novel. And then probably not think about it again. Oh, yeah. I've never played it. Sure. For me. Yeah. I, I don't think I put any money towards the game. I was like, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I guess it is a pretty dated game, even for an arcade game. Like the sprites are big and there's a fair bit of detail on them. And like I said, it gets across its kind of macabre imagery quite well. But yeah. I also think that's kind of a product of the time of the less detail in a way helped those games because your mind would fill in the blanks. Yeah. It's kind of like Silent Hill 1. Like, uh, I remember that game being so much more scary and so much more brutal as a kid, but it is because of the, like, the low-ass jank textures and poly count on the models that your brain kind of remembers them as being much more horrifying and violent but yeah. it is just because that they couldn't fit that much information on there. And I feel this game has kind of the same type of effect. Mm -hmm. um, so all in all, I had fun with it. But like you said, it's definitely not something I'm going to fire up again in like a couple of months time and try to beat my high score or anything. Yeah. Because, I mean, I found out by accident that there was a slide kick and I couldn't get it to come out reliably. Yeah, the sidekick to me was so broken. I couldn't figure it out. I was able to do it like maybe four or five times. Yeah, I couldn't get it. To, it felt like an accident when I did it. And, yeah. And then uh, 
I did feel the game was pretty forgiving with checkpoints because it didn't boot you all the way back to the start of a level. So, huh. like when, when I died, I got booted. I died twice and I got booted to the start of the level, even though I was like at a boss. I mean, like a, a hard death where you lose all your lives, yes. But like, yeah. uh, if you just lose a stock, it kind uh -huh. of restarts you at whatever screen you were on, or in some cases, like halfway through a screen, if it had an annoying platforming bit. Yeah, well, for me, like, I don't really like arcade games, which have like, you know, lives. And then when you die, you have to restart a whole level. Mm. It plays more like console-like, and I feel like, yo, if I'm putting money into this, do not force me to have to like redo a whole level. Yeah. Imagine if a kid having to put down money into this i would be like i'm done with this i'm not gonna keep putting money so you're saying more like metal slug where you just drop in where you finished every pretty much arcade did that i mean yeah i know that splatterhouse wasn't the first or the last to do this style of system but i always hated this style of system because to me it was more similar to any console game like, i'd rather just rent something from say blockbuster than to ever play this in an arcade because this would be so infuriating because you had to spend so much money even to restart a level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you played, you know, old school Ninja Gaiden in the arcade as it was, you always had to restart a level. You'd want to fucking break the joystick. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a big fan of those kind of things as well. And I mean, there's a ton of stuff from that era, man, that just like has not aged well, like knockback or insta-death pits and things like that. And this yeah. this game kind of, it tried a fine line for me because I didn't think there was super egregious knockback, but there was kind of periods where like a boss would hard lock you in a corner and there was not that many iframes between hits. So yeah. for example, the chainsaw boss, uh, like halfway through the game, I found out that the best way to beat him was to use the shotgun and the one at the start, just keep it and just kick all the enemies on the way to the end and then juggle the yeah. two shotguns to the end of the level to take him out. Yeah. Because unless... I, d okay. I didn't juggle between the two, but I had one full shotgun though when I got to the boss. Yeah. And I feel like unless you can reliably get that slide kick to come out, it is impossible to hit him. His reach is longer than yours and he's faster. Yeah. So there's, it's not like the other bosses up to that point where there's a notable pattern or somewhere that you're supposed to stand. He's just literally a case of if you don't have enough bullets, you're going to die. Yeah. Well, or you're going to get at least get hit once or twice. End of story. Yeah. I was kind of lucky with him. Uh, I was able to get like three hits of him off in the air. Because sometimes the game can get kind of glitchy. If you hit the button, you like two, three punches in the air. It's like, oh, cool. I hit him. I didn't get hit at all. Yeah. So it's some areas of it didn't feel very skill based. And I think it very much falls into one of those games where it's not like Metal Slug, where it's knowing roughly what's going to happen and where the stuff is. This is one yeah. of those games that relies on you knowing exactly where everything is and just memorizing it. Yeah. So, well, it does have a pretty clear cut, you know, pattern to it. So, I mean, if you yeah. die at a boss, but like, let's say you make it through most of the boss, you can pretty much copy as long as you recall that pattern. Like, uh, what was it? The one boss where they start possessing all the items in the room. Yeah. Each item has a very specific pattern. As long as you kind of learn the pattern, I was able to do that. I died, I think, once and then 
I was able to do it the next time perfectly without getting hit. The only difficult part was like the knife. But other than that, yeah. not so bad. The only thing that pissed me off about the bosses in this game is you kind of learn it, I guess, as you go through, but they have like a death attack. So when, for example, the room finished, it's natural for me to stand in the middle of a room, but the oh, chandelier yeah, yeah, yeah. falls on you. And then when you're, you yeah, yeah, and then when you're fighting like those flesh maggot things, like the music will stop, and it makes you think the boss is finished, and then one last one will burst out of the carcass on the far side of the room. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking more like, I guess I consider those more like suicide attacks than death attacks. So that meant like one hit kill. Ah, uh, yeah. No, they're just like, it's just that thing of. Oh, I finished the boss. The music stopped. It's been ingrained into me at this point that I am no longer in danger. And then yeah. it is very easy to lose a life or if you're just hanging on like a stock just through cheap bullshit. Because that game, the, as you said, the controls are way too stiff for it to be a reaction-based platformer. Yeah. So if you're still And also there's a delay with each type of button press, I felt. Yeah. So if you're stood in the wrong place, you're taking a hit. Yeah. Uh, and then that fed back into as well the near the end of the game where you're having to jump over those weird, like the floor is covered in some kind of flesh and there's hands everywhere. And if you touch the floor, you take damage. Oh yeah. There's like this, what is it? There's like the little slopes that make you fall into yeah. it and it gives you like a weird sense of momentum. Oh God, that momentum was annoying. It was worse than an ice level. Yeah. Cause up until that point, that's not been an existing factor. Yeah, And then you don't realize that because if you just go straight and you try to jump, the hands always go up as you will be jumping. Yeah. So it is impossible, unless you know about what is going on, to scale your way through that level because you're dealing with something that up until this point, you've not had to deal with in the game. Yeah. So I think uh, sometimes those things that they put in are very obviously like cash grab type things well yeah that's obviously you know the token as we used to call it like the token stealing portion of the game or the token taking part of the game mm. where they just make it unnecessarily hard and stupid just to make sure you put more money in yeah which was like weird because it's counterintuitive to the whole you died halfway through a level but i won't send you back to the start of the level unless you get a hard game over yeah so it feels as if they were kind of in two minds about how much money stealing they should do, but they kind of couldn't make their mind up about it. Did you know that, um, well, I don't, you played on uh, MAME, I'm assuming, correct? Yes. Um, so when you play on MAME, do you ever go through any of the MAME settings? Because if you go to like the MAME settings, such as like, I think it's like hit tab or F2, depending on which MAME you're playing or which version of MAME you're playing. And there's a section called like dip switches. And uh, for every single arcade, dip switches kind of change things around. Did you ever look at that or no? No, not yet. I haven't had much time to play around with it. Okay, well, anyways, so just give you like an idea. So, for example, if you downloaded you know, Metal Slug, I don't know about the European edition, but the American edition of Metal Slug, there was no blood in it. But if you go dip switches, you can turn blood on. I may have mentioned in the past. Yeah. But so, um, what is it? Splatterhouse had a similar function. If you go to dip switches you can actually increase how much stock you have. Standard is about like two or three stock, but you could put that up to six stock instead. Oh, okay. 
but I found that out afterwards. I was like, oh, that would have been kind of helpful. So I wouldn't have felt so incredibly irritated having, because I remember I had to restart a stage once and that was kind of like pretty infuriating for me. I was able to complete the game, I think in like 40-ish minutes. Mm. I probably could have done it in 30 if I didn't have that hard reset. And I was, yeah, I was pretty mad about that. Yeah, I think I must have opened up the in-game meme setting because I saw the one for extra life thresholds. Yeah. Because there was a setting like, I guess it would have been hard or easy where the first extra life you get is at 30,000 points. Yeah, it's part of the dip switches. You can control that and then how much stock you have as well. Yeah, so I must have just missed the stock one. But yeah, all in all, like I said, the music is pretty forgettable. Uh, oh yeah um any of it i don't remember i like the sound effects yeah the sound effects are really good but uh yeah the sloshing sounds when you cut things like the the dude hanging by the neck and you like slit their stomach open the guts came out here they're like (laughs) i was like well that's great yeah like someone just put like play-doh in like a can put their fingers into it (laughs) pretty much so yeah it was visually it was okay the sound effects were good the music was super forgettable and the gameplay it was just obviously a real standard two-button arcade game where yeah. I think it was very much... It knew exactly what it was and what it was aiming for, which was shock value. Yeah. Well, actually, one more thing before we move on is uh, I had forgotten that I wrote down that supposedly the real reason why at least it never was released in America in arcade form was not because of violence, but due to satanic imagery supposedly the boss with the upside down cross was enough for them to say Mm-mm, no 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 not good well but the rest of the violence was fine that was kind of an ongoing thing at that point wasn't it it's always been an ongoing thing you know anything with religion and violence in it such as satanic imagery is it's a big no-no like uh it was commonplace in final fantasy games that if sprites had like a low cut top or something the western version would always have like the cleavage colored in or extra cloth added or uh, I know Wolfenstein was a main one. Like any instance of the swash sticker was just replaced with a cross. And in the UK, I mean, in America, we could see the swastika. Yeah, I think they changed a lot of that uh, in England. Like I know because of the misconception of the word drug between America yeah. and England, that anything with the word drug in it was usually changed to like pharmacy or health or something. So... Uh, it's an ongoing thing, but it's just one of those things that I always find funny of that, oh yeah, like grotesque imagery, like ultraviolence, yeah, bring it on. An upside down cross or something that's blasphemous. Ooh, no, 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 no. Not in this country. I can't remember the quote exactly, but you do you know uh, Bruce Campbell? Yeah, of course. Um, well, just for anyone who doesn't know, he basically did like Evil Dead series, including the TV show. Great actor. Love the guy. Uh, and he has an amazing chin. Uh, <laughs> I, what was it? Bruce Campbell had like a famous quote. Now, obviously, I can't remember verbatim, but something that like in America, essentially, you can kiss a tit, but how? No, sorry. You can commit as many violent atrocities that you can imagine, but dare you ever kiss a tit? That's a huge no-no. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting, you know, because at least growing up in America, when you hear about things from Europe, you always hear it's the reverse that, you know, they could do science a bit, has more nudity, be a bit more sexually, I guess, liberating and it's okay. But violence is a big no, no. 
So it's always kind of interesting to me in America. It's like, yeah, man, you can like cut that dude's legs off in his head and play in the blind. But oh my God, you show a boob and someone's kissing it. Oh God. I think that the main bulk of that comes from Germany because they were very, and probably still are, like quite anti-violence. Like uh, I always remember as a kid reading that any Mortal Kombat game that was released there would always have any dismemberment removed and the blood would always be changed to green. But, you know, Germany's the land of hardcore porn. It's true. Well, you know, with any country, when you make things too restrictive, people are going to, you know, find other ways to release themselves, so to speak. So uh, my favorite example is Australia, because they're always like Left 4 Dead 2. I think that was only recently released there because they just kept trying to ban it because Why? I don't know. They're like super opposed to any kind of violence and things like that. Like if a game is causing controversy, Nine times out of ten, Australia will be the first place to ban it. Weird. You would think Australians would be a little bit more low-key okay with all that stuff. Like, yeah, come on, it's fine. I think the people themselves are. I just always, uh, apologies to any Australian viewers, but I always think it's just because they're, they're one violent video game away from reverting to their criminal origins. <laughs> Jesus. So, I suppose that might be true. I don't know. It's weird. Like, so you said, Australians are usually pretty low-key, chill people who are like, oh, whatever, like, just get on with it. But for some strange reason, violence in video games just seems to rub their government the wrong way. Yeah, it's weird. But All uh, right. Yeah, so... We should move on, yeah, to uh, Sweet Home. Yep. So this was an interesting one for me because I've always known about Sweet Home, and I've known about the impact it had on the gaming landscape, most famously it being kind of like the origin point or a heavy inspiration point for Resident Evil. Bro, it's the harbinger of all survival <laughs> games. Let's be honest. But yeah, it's just like so weird to me that it never... Well, I guess not too weird because it was based off a obscure Japanese horror movie and it was kind of like a tie-in game. So it's not surprising that it never made it outside of Japan. Well, supposedly the horror movie was only obscure in the West, but in Japan at the time, I think it was like not a huge deal, but I think everyone knew it. There was a few famous actors in it. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, but I mean... I think we should all... Oh, sorry, go on. No, go on, Karen. I was like, I think we should also put some emphasis on the difficulty in trying to run this game and the issues we encountered. Yeah, so because this game never came outside of japan obviously it requires a rom hack for translation to work yeah and, and, uh, and there's two translations the gaijin one and uh sir siege's translation so yeah you've immediately got uh, a lot of different ways to play that and uh it is going to alter your experience slightly because well for a start um I know Blake had to go back in and patch it himself to get it to work. I just went with the original uh, Gaijin translation. Uh, and I didn't really have any problems, but there is a question after you explain how you got it to run, Blake, that I have about one puzzle in the game. And I want to know kind of what the clue was for you. So I'll let you talk about the issues you had to get it run. Well, you know, as it goes, we went to romhacking.com because... I had originally looked up online what was the best translation to play Sweet Home because I knew that there was some more recent translations of the game and 
you know, obviously, I want to play something that's been updated and is more faithful to the original version. So everyone was saying that Sir Siege's was a better choice than the original Gaijin production since Sir Siege was a lot more faithful. Anyways, so we downloaded from ROM hacking and when we tried to get to run, it wouldn't run. It would say either missing image or something. But, you know, due to my genius, I was able to figure out that we had to patch the original Japanese ROM. But at that point, uh, Baby James over here, he had already started the original Gaijin production version. So that's, uh, I'm so sad that he had to play the poor man's version of the game. Well, you know, I guess uh, as a talking point, it's probably just as well that I did. <laughs> Because yeah, so what, 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 sorry, go on. <laughs> I was just say, because now we just have two different perspectives on it. So, um, Ooh, I assume that's a, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. I assume you're going to ask about what I was, which puzzle I was referring to. Yeah, yeah, that was the next point. What was this puzzle? So, I don't know if it was worded the same. And again, because it was a ROM, so I didn't, there was no possible way for me to buy the game and read the manual. It, was never kind of made explicitly clear up to that point that things could be hidden in the environment. So you have a few options that like you can look at your items, you can form a party, you can talk to other people. And mm. um, obviously you can look at the surrounding and it will give you a little bit of information as to what is happening. Okay. But one of the paintings that you get a clue from says that you can find an item you need in a room with a small beast. So obviously after I thought about it, I realized that, oh, well, it must be the mouse because there's nothing else on the screen. Uh -huh. But under no circumstance does it tell you that you have to pixel hunt around the dining room table to a certain location. Uh, in my translation, it said that the mallet is found, uh, what is it, under the right desk. Yeah. I mean, under the, the right, the upper right corner of the desk. Not verbatim, but pretty much it sets that. So I knew basically to go walk over to the dining table, go that one area and found it immediately. Yeah, so mine was something along the lines of under the desk in the room with the small beast. So there was no indication as to where I should look. And that is a pretty large table. Yeah. So obviously, being the lazy fuck I am, I went to the bottom left half of the table, observed it, and I got nothing. Yeah. So I thought I'd misread it or something. So I continued to wander around for about 20, 30 minutes trying to do this before I finally caved and went, I'm going to have to look at a walkthrough. Yeah. And they told me, yeah, it's at the top right of the table, which pissed me off no end well that was part of the reason why i was pretty like happy that i got the game to run because i heard online that people said that the original translation didn't explain a lot of locations of the items or how to defeat the final boss things were far more cryptic and didn't make a lot of sense but the only issue with the new translation was uh, towards well we'll get into the gameplay later but just to you know, gets this point real quick is that towards the end of the game, there's uh, three blue statues you need to place candles on and light yep. them. So in that particular situation, if you say, look at the statue, this means like when you've already investigated it and you see like the little detailed graphic of it, yep. you know, there's always the look option. If you hit that, it breaks the entire game. That's the only issue with that translation. But it clearly states when you download it, do not look at this thing. You can do everything else, but don't look at it. Yep. So you can still complete everything. But um, 
that was my the only issue other than that yeah the information that's given to you is actually pretty damn accurate and is really helpful using the translation and the newer translation used far better text than the uh, Gaijin productions. I really hated the font they used in the Gaijin production one. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I didn't have much of a problem um, because, well, it's pretty straightforward, to be honest. Once you know what the items can do, there's no real confusion anymore because uh, mallets break rocks, uh, the lighter burns ropes... Uh, the actual ropes themselves can be used to traverse gaps, keys unlock yeah. doors, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I mean, I guess the main point for me was that uh, if you're playing the game uh, for the first time and you don't want to use a guide, there is no real indication as to which items are no longer important. Yeah, that was kind of annoying, to say the least. You really had to you know pick and choose so that that got pretty irritating so did you use a guide the whole way through or later on no i only used a guide kind of to figure out the odd puzzle and then when it started the game started requiring me to have multiple items in my inventory to progress i would use a check sheet for what items were essential to game progression but i would not look at how to get them or how to use them or where in the game kind of what I would what else I would get in the area like the best weapons and things like that I just wanted to know what items were essential to that area because it's an old school JRPG which means the encounter rates are too often so I did not want to backtrack through the whole mansion to find one item that I'd left at the start of the game because I thought I'd no longer need it again so for me, that was a main bugbear for me. And I know Resident Evil had like, what, 10, 15 years of improvements on it. But I do really think it would have just been nice that if the item had no longer any use, that a little text box would just appear. Like it didn't have to disappear, but they could just go, I feel I'm done with this item or this item no longer has any use just so yeah. that you'd know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I use a checklist as well, but I didn't use a checklist, I think, till the last part of the game when I had like a bunch of different items. Because I remember I held the mallet until like until pretty late in the game because I wasn't really sure if it would come in handy again. And I kept switching out items and then giving it to other you know members of my party. Yeah. So it was the very last chapter of the game. I think people call it chapter four where you had the gold key and you need to open up a bunch of different rooms. It was that point in which I used the checklist because I was like, okay, I got too many damn items and I'm having to remember where everything is located. Then I used the checklist and then I looked at the guide to figure out what door to open because I was like, I don't really care at this point to explore a fucking mansion when, you know, unlike say Pokemon, for example, where you could use like a repel potion, yeah. I can't repel anything. And, you know, running in that game is completely pointless because every time you have to hit run, it's like you just you should just attack. It's a lot faster yeah. than trying to run, because if you fail at running, you get hit. That means you're more you spend more time in battle. But, you know, with three people, you could probably kill the enemy a lot faster. Also, run only counts for one character character. So if you run with three characters and two successfully escape and one is stuck, they're then taking the brunt of the damage. 
Exactly. And then with certain enemies, they could be blown away and then they're stuck in another room. That was so, That is at the point where I tried to stop playing the game uh, as it was originally intended and I started relying on save states. Yeah, I think using save states is a really big one for this game. And then also... I was using the fast forward function on my emulator where I would make it go four times faster because <laughs> I was like, I need a, I need these battles to load faster and I need to get through them. So battles would last like a second and a half for me. Like, done, cool, keep going. Yeah, so that was the, the main thing for me. And I also think the prey function, there is like a level cap for progress sometimes. It will tell you that praying, your like level is not high enough. So I feel like... Huh. To, I didn't get to that. Toward, okay. Yeah, towards the end, I was only like a level or two below what I needed, but it kind of arbitrarily locked me out of going forwards because the game felt that a number wasn't high enough. Interesting. And that was... So, what was, level were you when you beat the game? Uh, around... I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. My health had just started to bleed over into the thousands. So you're probably like level 14 or 15. Yeah. And I, the combat itself isn't actually that hard. Like you said, the main irritation from that game comes from enemies that can blow a party member away. Yeah. And then that is not like when the ghosts grab you and take you to a different room and it's maybe the adjacent room or something. Uh, I remember once when I was in the basement level one of the kind of ghoul enemies blew one of my characters all the way back to the very first room in the mansion <laughs> when I was in the basement. So that is the point for me where I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and went like, fuck it. Every time I see one of these enemies, I'm safe stating. <laughs> because to me, that's not on. Uh, it very rarely hits, but when it does, that is the most annoying shit ever. Yeah, they did a lot of shit that kind of irritated me. I mean, I'll be honest, I did like the game. I'll be honest, I like the game. However, I think I like the game because I'm using save states and I'm able to fast forward. If I was playing this on old school NES, I probably wouldn't really like it because it would get on my nerves with how much time it takes. I mean, every single battle is legitimate. Like what, from the moment you encounter the enemy until you can finally attack the enemy is like a solid three to four seconds. Yeah, And when you hit an enemy every maybe five seconds you're just wasting time yeah and that could get really irritating but when you fast forward through it then it's like okay i just spent like you know maybe two three seconds and i'm already at the goal which is nice yep. which is why i think i told you um at the lake section of the game i just started grinding because there was a zombie enemy that gave you like 75 exp yeah and unlike most jrpgs this actually had really low ex uh experience points required to level up so i literally just held fast forward and i leveled up all my party members from like level 12 to 20 and it took me about 12 minutes but yeah. also I was on like four times fast forward. So it's kind of, damn, that's how you should grind an RPGs. Just fast forward through it and like, yeah, done. But yeah. I'll say this, when you hit level 20, the game becomes ridiculously easy. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, I know JRPGs that if you get a high level, they can still have some challenge. But I mean, there's no challenge, like zero. Within one or two characters, the enemy is always dead. Even the final boss, she hit me a few times, but it did very, very little damage. I think all my characters had close to 3,000 health or like 2,500. So her hitting you for 100 doesn't mean much. No. I mean, I think the only part with the end boss, you have to use items at a certain time, don't you, to beat her? Yeah, well, I think we should probably maybe explain some of these things. So (laughs) we're just... Um, But yeah, before we get into that, uh, what was the thing I wanted to say? Oh yeah, what did you think of the music? I thought it was incredibly droning and it like just really irritated the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, there's only one piece of music that really stuck in my head and that's the fresco music, the painting. Yeah, that was the only one that was kind of decent. Yeah, and that one kind of stuck in my head because it was like a, a little bit of a somber sort of tone and kind of, it's almost like the save room theme in Resident Evil. It kind of lets you know that nothing's going to happen whilst you're in this screen. Yeah. But yeah, like the, there wasn't that much music variation and it is, you can very much tell it's an NES game. Yeah, well, you know, science and music would have that long, just like, and I'd often feel like, oh my God, is this thing crashing on me? Is there an issue? I'd always feel like something was going on in the game that I'm not aware of because the music was just, oh, it was just horrible. But um, one thing I want to bring up, I mean, I don't know about you, but this also really pissed me off, which was the, uh, whenever you're cursed or your poison is just pure unadulterated, like epilepsy you know, induced graphics. Yeah. That blinking blue light was, I couldn't stand it. I can't believe that that kind of stuff was allowed at any point in gaming history. Yeah, I think this was uh, maybe pre-Pokemon Porygon episode. Yeah, but God, I, I don't have epilepsy, but dude, just looking at it made my eyes want to like just bleed. I was like, oh my God, just fucking kill me now. No, I mean, it's like the same kind of thing that we said last week with uh, dinosaur, uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs with the shadow flashing, like shadow stepping enemies. Yeah. That it's just burning your retinas and just makes you just feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I understand that like this, the NES, it had a very limited color palette. There was only so much they could do to display things on the screen. And it probably was there to induce kind of like a sense of panic and urgency. But yeah, I think people's health and well-being was an afterthought with that one. Yeah, I agree on that. It was just, that was not a good experience, in my opinion. Um, But yeah, maybe let's discuss a little bit about like the actual, like we did a lot about experience, but maybe let's discuss more like gameplay and the story. So it makes more sense like when you're talking about the item usage for the end boss. So um, I don't know for your translation, but uh, do you actually feel like you understood the story of the game or do you feel like you just went through the motions of the game? Um, the overarching without, because obviously I've known about this game for a while and I was interested in the film and usually when I get interested in something obscure, I do a lot of research on it. But yeah. if I was to just take my experience in the game through what was translated and what came up is that they'd gone to the mansion to find the guy's paintings or something and that they disturbed the spirit of the house by trespassing and the spirit of the house uh a lot uh, i think it was 
30, 50 years ago or something. She yeah. had a child and the child was playing in the house and accidentally fell into the incinerator. And the wife kind of went nuts and started abducting and killing other children so that her child would have playmates in the afterlife. And yeah. then eventually she couldn't live with the guilt anymore and she died. And because she had a guilty conscience, her spirit came back as like a vengeful ghost. Yeah. And the main idea is that you're trying to put her spirit at rest. And also, I think the spirit of her husband or something. Uh, so that the mansion will fall apart and the curse is lifted. You know, the husband was alive, though. You interact with him, even though they don't say that. Yeah, that was the thing that confused me, is I was a little confused as to who that guy was, for most part. Yeah, Yamayura. Yeah. Yeah, because I... I'll be honest, I didn't put a lot of research in the story. I was trying to find the movie to watch instead, as a better... But the thing is that the movie, I guess, is on YouTube, but due to licensing you can't watch it in japan but i guess in the west maybe the licensing is now kind of you know the licensing is dead the movie kind of comes public domain in a sense yeah so i heard that at least in america or north america and i think also in europe you can watch on youtube the full film but i wasn't able to and i didn't really feel i guess so inclined to try and get a vpn just to watch it on youtube i was like i just can't be bothered at this point but um, I guess in the movie, yeah, they clearly show towards the end of the film that, yeah, that was her husband. Because I think that he watches over the mansion and he owns like a gas station or something. So he helps these people out. Yeah. But one thing about the game, like I, like I said, I didn't delve too much into it, was I kind of want to know the relationship of each character. So I looked a little bit into it. For example, like the main guy was a Kazuo. Yeah. Uh, was it the girl named Emmy? That's like his daughter. And I was yeah. Like, wow, that was never stated at all in the game. No. And then there's like Akiko, which is like the medic. And well, sorry, I should make this clear. So Kazuo has a lighter. Emmy is the key master. She has the key for most doors. Akiko is the medic. And I guess the love interest of Kazuo. Then you have Taguchi. That's his original name. But I think in your translation, the name is Taro. Yeah. And then Taguchi has the camera, which you need for the frescoes. So you use the flash to see what the words are. And then you have Asuka, who has the vacuum cleaner, who cleans up the frescoes or any type of debris on the ground. Yeah, so each character has a specific use. And uh, that plays into the gameplay as well, that these characters can perma-die at any time. Yeah. So if they die either to an enemy or... For example, there's environmental hazards where you'll walk around and a statue will fall or a chandelier will topple over or a bridge will break and you have to pull them out of a pit. Once these characters die, their key item is lost, but there are equivalent items lying around so that you don't get hard-locked out of the game. I thought that was really smart on their part. Yeah, I was pretty impressed by that, especially for such an old game. They're like, yeah, your character's dead, but you got these other items. Which, again, because I didn't have a manual, it wasn't until about halfway through the game and I was carrying all this crap around with me that I was like, oh, I don't need the matches because I haven't lost Kazuo or I don't need uh, the pills because I have Akiko in my team. So who was your team throughout the game? Well, I kind of balanced them uh, for the most part, but whichever team had two, I always kept Taro and Asuka together because they were usually needed... To look at the frescoes 
That seems to be what everyone online seemed to do. I did the same. Yeah. When I first started playing, I originally didn't have Akiko in my party. I just kept with Taguchi because he was pretty strong. Uh, but then later on, I was like, I think after like an hour, I put Akiko in because I was like, I should keep a medic with me instead. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Akiko is the worst character in the game, at least from what I read online after I beat it. She had the weakest stats. Kazuo yep. had the best, and Emmy was the strongest of all the females. Yep. So that was what was nice. I didn't like having Akiko in party. I always felt that she hit the weakest and often would be the one to, I guess, she would never die, but be the one who would be closest to death if yep. I was just like going on the long haul and not using any you know tonics or yeah tonics to increase your health i mean i guess from my perspective that was to keep her from being like a god tier character because her main purpose serves to stop the others from dying from curses or poison or fear so come on everyone likes a mary sue character (laughs) if they hit like a train as well it's kind of like what's the point in using the other characters other than to progress through the story can you think of any like <clears throat> RPG or whatever JRPG at the time which had a similar function between switching teams? I couldn't think of one and I didn't really research into it. Not off the top of my head because um, for me, I kind of fell in and out with RPGs for most of my life. Like this is the first RPG I've touched in quite a while because yeah. um, modern RPGs I've got no problem with where they show the enemies on the screen. But I yeah. cannot stand random encounters. They uh, they piss me off so much. And <clears throat> I think the only other games I can think of from that era are things like Fantasy Star, uh, some of the Final Fantasies, but none of them had the character switching mechanic. They had party members, and there would be times within games where you might be told you have to use a certain character But I do think it was kind of one of the first, I mean, I might be wrong, like Blake said, I didn't really take too much time to look into it. But it was the first kind of survival horror type game in where you would be in charge of your own characters, you decide where they go, who went with who, and you have to actively look after them, because losing one was like losing a function from the game. Yeah. Did you beat the game with all characters? Yeah, easily. Yeah, same. Uh, I will say that I let one character die once just to see the animation. The animation was pretty funny. Like they fell onto a wall and there was like a blood stain. Like, eee! <laughs> yeah. So, um, what was I going to say next? Um, oh yeah, so back to the actual gameplay. What did you think of the items that you get and the actual item management within the game? Because, you know, you I know you're a big fan of Resident Evil. So, you know, obviously being that this is one of the original, like, survival horror games, how did you feel about it? I I thought it was a good idea. I just think that the amount of items, especially towards the end of the game, that you are required to carry for a completion does yeah. not mesh well with the amount of inventory space you had. Yeah. Uh, two inventory slots per character, and that is for absolutely everything so key items healing items um tools that have a specific function it is not enough and yeah i know you get a separate space for a weapon and their key item 
but it would be nice if they just spent a little bit more time. Like, uh, did you ever play Resident Evil Outbreak? No. So that was like an online survival game where each character had different strengths and weaknesses or abilities. Yeah. And one of the characters has a backpack so she can carry, I think it was two extra items because she has more inventory space. So she's a Sherpa. Yeah. <laughs> so it would have been nice if they kind of did that here as well. Because yeah. uh, the early part of the game, it is not an issue. Because you only need planks of wood and they're in plentiful supply. I'll give them that. That they don't make it too punishing that you will always have what you need in that area for the most part. Yeah. But if you have to drop an item to get something else... And then you have to kind of manage around and stick in that area. Two items each is just not enough to progress. So it would have been nice if some characters could carry more or some characters hit harder and they just put a little more time and effort into it because there are very few items in that game that are worth picking up beyond a certain point. Yeah. And again... That was gone. Uh, as you say, and again... Unless you had the manual or looked into it prior to playing the game, there are so many trash items and there is no kind of inspect to tell you what they would do or what they're used for. Yeah. So again, I was running around with things like the matches or the pills or the wire um, or an additional camera because I thought you can use the tools to attack. And for example, if Kazuho uses his lighter on the worm's enemy... It does so much more damage than it should do at that part of the game. Yeah. So you end up hanging on to these things thinking, oh, there is a, a really tough enemy type that will be one-shotted by this item. Yeah. And, and it's just never explained to you. And couple that with the limited space and the amount of backtracking that you need to do to get the items. I was a fan of what they were doing, just not how they implemented it. I mean, I can understand. It's also an NES game, so I guess. Mm. I, know. I will say one thing that I was very impressed with, though, is I know you don't play Dark Souls, but do you know that in kind of Dark Souls, like all the areas kind of loop back into each other? What do you mean? So, for example, like uh, you'll go all the way through this level, and at the start, there would have been a locked door. And at the end yeah. of this level, you'll open that door and find out that it's just a really fast shortcut to get to where you were in case you died. Oh, okay. So all the world is kind of interconnected. And they kind of do that in this game. where I kind of find it to be more of like a Japanese thing. I mm. see a lot in Japanese games. But I was kind of very surprised that that level of thought went into planning the mansion and how it would open up like that. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it's take the first room of the mansion for example there are kind of like holes everywhere and you need wood to get across it and there's this black kind of lightning on the floor yeah once you get the flashlight to dispel that all those holes cease to be a problem and you can quickly zip through the main hall you know the flashlight's one of those things which i didn't like i thought i had to keep it for a long period of time and i kept it for far too long yeah same because i thought i would experience more of those things but it's like oh here's this one thing you're gonna experience it in this one section of the mansion now it's gone forever so you don't need this flashlight but you know you can carry it if you like we're not gonna tell you whether you need it again <laughs> yeah essentially so that's especially that the keys man the keys mm. i did not like the key there's like fucking like what three keys you have to deal with and at no point 
do you know when you should keep this key yeah. or get rid of it? Especially towards the end of the game. You get like the two key, you have the gold key. Iron and you're key. Like, yeah, the iron key. And you're like, okay, the iron key is opening this, but wait, the iron key opened up another door. So it'll open all these new doors. Yeah. And you have to keep trying, you know, Emmy's key, the iron key, the two key, the gold key to try and figure out which door is going to open with which key. And you're seeing there like, oh my God, why do I have to do this? Give me some indicator like, oh, this looks like it needs a gold key. Yeah, that was my main problem as well. It's just that the inspect or the look feature was very... Anemic. Uh, yeah, it was very picky on what it would choose to interact with. And also, I thought the funny thing was you would look at skeletons... But, oh god, that was hilarious. But people who are cleaved in half or bleeding out on the floor, you have to talk to them. Yeah. And these... Well, you know... <laughs> you go on. <laughs> I was going to say, these people have been in this mansion for god knows how long chopped in half or bleeding out on the floor and they've still got enough energy left in you to give you a cryptic bullshit clue yeah well the same thing with the skeleton if you look at all the skeletons some of them will like like oh it's a skeleton and then it fucking pops up at you and it'll give you like some type of advice it's like ah! yeah it's like use the key on this you're like oh thanks skeleton <laughs> and then it goes away i mean just to round up because i um uh, a little short for time today but one of my favorite things about this game was the visual presentation. Oh, so good for NES. Yeah, like a lot of the sprites had moving parts. And uh, obviously it was just the same one over and over, but the door opening animation, I really enjoyed that. And the sound and the atmosphere that they created with so little was really good. Yeah, I really liked the uh, cutscene where you see uh, Mamiya's husband, yeah. uh, Ichiro or Yamagura. He sacrificed himself. Then you see, obviously, it's not clean animation, but you see him slowly die from being a human being to flesh falling off his face to like just nothingness. To being a skeleton warrior. Pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, the presentation of it, uh, obviously, once you get kind of like a quarter of the way into the game, you start seeing the reskins and things like that. Yeah. But. For what was there, like um, the man enemy, when I first encountered him, I was actually, I paused for a moment and thought, am I supposed to attack this guy? Or is it like Shin Megami Tensei where I'm supposed to kind of talk to him? And then obviously I like, I waited and then he turns around and it's just like, bah! yeah. And then when you see him later, he's the psycho and his skin is like gray. Yeah. Um, it's, um, some of the enemies, like the, the, um, is it a cannibal enemy with like the flesh boils and things? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what his name was, but I know about. But yeah, like some of the descriptions are pretty gross. Where it's like, oh, the enemy's skin sprays you with pus. You've become yeah. poisoned. It's like pretty descriptive, and some of the enemies are like pretty grotesque looking. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah, I'll say that they did a very good job in the art department. <laughs> Although. On that game. The corpse enemy in the floor just always made me laugh. The one that's like barfing out blood with his uh, fondle hands. Oh, was it the Risen, I think it's called or something? Yeah, it's just like a, a decapitated head with two hands coming out the side. And he's just constantly like making a boob honking motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or spew spewing out a never-ending fountain of blood. <laughs> so it is kind of dated. But again, like the amount of effort is a very ambitious project, I think. Oh, yeah, they did a damn good job, especially for, like, a movie tie-in game. Yeah, 
I mean, that's that is maybe like a conversation for another day, but back in kind of the 8 and 16 bit era, a movie tie in game was usually a decent fucking game. Yeah. Like Lion King, Aladdin, uh, Toy Story. Dude, um, those are all Disney games. Disney, that's not fair. Disney had their own, like, you know, publishing house for video games that were really good. But I mean, like, uh, what about Star what about Wars? Street games? Fighter, what about Street Fighter 2 the movie? Blech. The game. See, got you there, man. Because Star Wars also, LucasArts had a game company, so they had complete control over it, same as Disney. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I'm just saying that that's the level of dedication that went into it. Whereas then Marvel had their own one, but all the games they pumped out in like the Xbox era were garbage near enough. But they didn't have their own games company, right? They were just giving rights to other different companies. But that's what I mean. They had like money behind it still. And ultimately Marvel had the say over what was doing, but it's just from that era of when this was seen as a thing to endorse the product or further it rather than just go, oh, Iron Man's cool right now. Pump out a couple of shitty Iron Man games and we'll rely on the sales before the reviews come out. Yeah. So that's well, what I, that's what I mean in terms of that of that. Yes, you're right that Disney, LucasArts, places like that, they had their own studios, but the time and the care was still there to make sure that this product could stand on its own. Yeah, is what I was getting at. I wasn't saying like, oh, like fuck this movie tie-in because they didn't have Disney's bankroll. Okay, I got you. Because I was gonna say, I think one of the classiest of all movie tie-in games was Waterworld on Virtual Boy. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it, it loses points for me because there wasn't a part where you have Kevin Costner piss into a jar and drink it. I think anyone would agree with you on that one. Um, but maybe tracking. we should do uh, do some Disney games some point. Or oh yeah, like, definitely. Those are some great ones. But uh, yeah, would you uh, actually? I don't know about you, but as much as I might like an RPG, I have a very hard time going back and replaying yep. it. Yep. Would you ever do it? No, not with this one. Not at all. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it's good. I mean, I recommend playing it, but yeah, I don't think I would. I mean, I can see why people would go back and play it because it scratches that same itch as Resident Evil speed running of knowing where everything is, where it goes and trying to do it as fast as you can. But the reason I wouldn't do that with this game as opposed to Resident Evil is the random encounters. Yeah, I guess I can understand that. Like, if the I, monsters were on the screen and I could avoid them, and I know some of them are, like, the night mini-bosses. Yeah. But it is hard to speed run or get good at a game where you don't know when you're going to get jumped. Yeah. So, for me, it's not like... uh, Obviously, me and you will probably have an episode of this eventually, like Breath of Fire, where it's a well-made game that I enjoy going through. This is very much a product of its era, and I don't think I'd want to play it again. But as you said, I would highly recommend other people check it out because the level of quality for a game that didn't leave Japan was outstanding. Yeah, it was great. I really liked it. Especially for NES, it was really good. Yeah, so for me, I'm just like blown away just for what they accomplished uh, at a time where games were only just coming back into resurgence. Yeah. It was a tie-in to a movie that wasn't, like you said, a blockbuster, but it was relatively well-known. And it could have quite easily just been a throwaway RPG, but they just put a ton of effort into it. 
Yeah. Well, I recall you saying you got to end today kind of early. So I think we've kind of. Yeah. I mean, lost over everything. Yeah, I'd probably end now because I've opened the uh, door of other JRPGs and I'm sure me and you could fucking talk about Breath of Fire 3 all day. Yeah, Breath of Fire 3 is a. That's a definitely modern classic. That is a, a game for another time that I would love to revisit, but uh, it yeah. will have to be at a later time. But yeah, I would just like to take this uh, opportunity to not make things awkward, but just to say thanks to everyone. Yeah, um, thanks everyone for all the new followers, subscribers. Yeah, I mean, we've been looking in on how many people are viewing us and it's it's blown up a lot over the past couple of weeks. And I'd just like to say thanks to our friends and families or anyone who stumbled on this through Reddit or anywhere else we drop it. Uh, thanks a lot. We really enjoy doing it. And it's nice to see that people enjoy listening to it. Yeah. You know, thank you, everyone. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can pump out some more episodes, even though we're going to be heading back to work soon. So hopefully nothing will slow down. We can yep. continue enjoying this. So And uh, just uh, keep an ear out because we've got a few things coming down the pipeline, hopefully soon as well. So some exciting stuff on the way to look forward to as well as that. Yeah, and we'll try to stick to this schedule for now on. So, you know, for everyone who listens, there hopefully won't be any missed episodes or any delays. No, should hopefully still be a, a constant Monday release, even if they get a little shorter in time for a while. But I'm definitely dedicated to keeping this kind of recording at the weekends and then dropping it on Mondays. Yeah, same here. So, so yeah, once again, thanks to everyone for joining in. The support's great. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you keep listening and we hope we can keep doing this for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So uh, thanks a lot, everyone. And we'll see you next week. All right. Peace out. Bye-bye.